Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to a new week, Solar Warrior. Here we go. This is Two for Tuesday. Whether that's a tactical Tuesday or just content from one of our many live events like SPI Podcast Lounge, this is going to be a short form conversation, typically with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. And grow with us here on Suncast, as I know you will. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game. Remember, you can always find the resources and learn more about today's guests and recommendations in the blog at mysuncast.com. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. Welcome, welcome to everyone for joining us here live for the latest installment of the Great Debate Series. My name is Nico Johnson. I am so happy that we have a chance to join you all here and have you join us for this great debate series that uh, my good friend Tor Valenza and I have been concocting for about a year now. This is installment number three. If you're joining us on one of our live platforms, I'd love to encourage you to go ahead and uh, say, hey, I'm joining live in the comments. If you're watching as a replay, it's just helpful for us if you just type in replay. kind of helps us know how folks are tapping in to this content. Uh, if you did see any of our past great debates, I'd love for you to just raise your hand as well in the comments. Obviously, this is my way of getting you that are watching us live to be a little more interactive because we're going to be interactive today in what I expect to be a very exciting and even controversial debate. It's a topic that needs debating. So put in the comments if you watched any of our other previous debates, which one, the first one on storage, the second one on financing here today, we are going to be talking about a uh, very controversial and hot topic. We have solar experts debating these hot topics in the solar industry. Uh, of course, as I mentioned, my name is Nico. I'm the host of Suncast, popular podcast for solar and clean tech uh, industry. And uh, I'm looking forward to the live discussion on net metering policy. Uh, we have two divergent views on the future of net energy metering, or as we'll refer to today, NEM. These discussions are so important as we grow and scale the solar and broader clean energy sector. So I'd like to thank uh, our Solar Power Events partners and my co-host, Mr. Tor Solar Fred Valenza of Unthink Solar Marketing and Communications for supporting the series and helping bring us all together today. Uh, we have more debates coming. In fact, we've got uh, one coming up live as we uh, contribute to the road to New Orleans, which is part of the Solar Power International uh, Conference, better known now as North America Smart Energy Week. That's where our final debate will be held live on the stage for those of you who will be joining us there live in New Orleans in September. Uh, with that, I'd like to bring my co-host, Mr. Cor, Mr. Tor Valenza, up on stage. Hey, Nico. Great to be back for this so important series. And thank you all for joining us, whether you're live or you're watching it later. Um, I, I just love these discussions. It's, it's stuff that we've been having for so long. And um, it's great to have these experts to be sh sharing both sides. Um, 
And before we jump in, um, and I know we'd love to just get right up to it, um, I, I really want to take a moment to thank the team behind the great uh, Solar Debate series, um, and that is, of course, Nico and his My Suncast team, uh, Solar Power Events, um, and, and the Road to Nor New Orleans series. Um, and uh, we'd also like to thank uh, the person who's running a lot of the background here and brought this all together, uh, Glenda Johnson. Um, she's been producing and coordinating the show, and she will be showing herself and fielding questions. So you'll get to see what she looks like in person um, in just a few minutes. Um, so thank you again for joining us. Today's um, solar debate topic is the value of net metering. And if you're new to the solar industry, I like to think of net metering as uh, rollover minutes for solar. So if you're producing any extra um, solar on your home or your business, um, you send that back to the utility and then that gets credited back to your bill. Um, the question today, though, is what is the value of that credit that goes back to your bill? Um, and uh, traditionally, it's been one for one. You know, you send a kilowatt hour back, you get a kilowatt hour credited back. But um, the debate here is that is that fair to everyone? Um, is that fair to utilities? Is that is that fair to um, the the solar homeowner? What? is that value, is it overrated? So um, we've got two very, uh, again, expert um, debaters here who are going to share their view of whether uh, NEM should be a high value or a low value. And so I'll turn it over to Nico to uh, introduce our debaters. Thanks a lot, Tor. We'll see you in just a little while. Appreciate you doing that intro. I echo Tor's sentiment. Thank you for joining us here live today. You know, as we get down to business, please do let us know uh, if you have any questions or comments. You'll see some things scrolling along the bottom here prompting you as well. Uh, we welcome you to find this post on LinkedIn or other platforms like Twitter later and leave your comments if you're in fact watching this as a replay. It's super helpful for us. You just let us know where and how you're consuming this. And of course, if you're on the podcast, then thank you for listening to the Suncast podcast. Uh, you're listening to this as a, as a replay inherently. All right. We have two super knowledgeable advocates on the topic of energy policy broadly and how we can spur more investment in clean energy in the United States, supporting the position that net energy metering or NIM should change is none other than Mr. Brian Potts. Brian is a business attorney and a partner at the international law firm Perkins Coie. He's helped his clients obtain regulatory approvals to build more than $4 billion worth of utility infrastructure in various states, including conventional power plants, transmission lines, wind farms, and solar. Brian, welcome to the stage. Thanks for having me, Nico. This is exciting. Been following your work since you uh, started uh, you know, ruffling the feathers back in 2015. Famous uh, now to many of us, uh, New York Times articles, and you uh, you are a worthy uh, defender of the conversation. So I'm looking forward to this and supporting, of course, the position that net energy metering should remain as a high value for residential solar is Carl Robigo. Carl is the principal energy consultant for Robigo Energy based in Denver, Colorado. With more than 30 years of experience in energy, climate policy, and markets, Carl's recognized as an innovator in utility regulatory issues relating to clean and distributed 
Energy Services, having himself served as the architect of Austin Energy's value of solar tariff some years ago, the first policy of its kind in the nation. Carl, welcome to the debate. Thanks, Nico. I'm glad to be here. How you doing, Brian? Nice to see you again. Doing well. Bring it on. Fantastic. It's gonna, it is going to happen. Hey, uh, last but certainly not least, joining us from our Suncast media team and helping bring this production to life is our very own live streaming producer, Glenda Johnson. Hey, y'all. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nico. Before the debate gets started, I just wanted to go over some of the ground rules, guys. Uh, it's very simple. Nico is going to ask you a question. Each person will have two minutes to answer and the other will have two minutes to respond. If necessary, we'll add another minute for rebuttal or a follow up. And we've all agreed. We have all agreed that we won't talk over each other. So if you have anything to add, please go ahead and raise your hand and I'll keep the time going and I'll make sure that I'll give you a heads up when we're down to 30 seconds. I'll pop in a few times to field some live questions as well. So you won't see the last of me, but I'm excited to get started all. All right, here we go. Thank you, Glenda. I, uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Tor and I concocted this idea and net energy metering was one of the most hotly contested conversations when we published out to the internet what kind of topics in the solar industry really are under debate, as many of you know, if you've been watching. This is a hot topic in California and and many other states, including my home state of North Carolina and the state I came from, South Carolina. I want to take a second and just thank all of you who are watching live. I see you there, Jen Runyon and Sustainable Steve, Jamie Nolan. Thank you all for commenting as we've prompted you to do. I encourage the rest of you to do the same. Let's jump into the first question. As Glenda has stated, there will be two minutes from either of you to to state your positions and then a minute for rebuttals. According to SIA, we have now more than 3 million solar installations in the United States today. How do each of you perceive the contribution of net energy metering to the success of the rollout of solar in the U.S.? And what has NIM accomplished or failed to accomplish? Brian, we'll start with you. I welcome you to start to give us your perspective on the history of NIM. Yeah, thanks, Nico. Uh, Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. All right, great. So uh, the history of NIM, I think, is important um, for everyone to understand in order to really understand what this debate is about. So NIM started out as sort of a rule of necessity or convenience, not really something that uh, anyone was even thinking about much at the time. So um, NAM again, is net metering. I, th- I think Tor gave a nice example. Essentially, you get credits. Um, the bottom line, the easiest way I think to think about it is if you have a house and you use a thousand kilowatt hours a month, you're allowed to put that much on the grid and and up to a thousand kilowatts, and you know you wouldn't have to pay anything as long as uh, you net it out. So maybe if you put 800 kilowatts on the grid and your use was a thousand, you'd just have to pay for 200 kilowatt hours. So the bottom line is when solar started out in its infancy, no one was really thinking about this. Frankly, the meter just ran both ways. And so it was really easy for regulators and everyone in, in the utilities to sort of say, sure, go ahead, put those solar panels on your roof. And uh, rather than us have to figure out these complicated issues, uh, we're just going to let you net it out because, frankly, it's easy. The meter runs the wrong way. We come check the meter and we'll bill you for whatever's left. 
So that's how it started. It's not really a policy, I think, that anyone was even thinking about when net metering was set up. And then fast forward to five, 10 years ago when solar really started to take off, including you know rooftop and other um, all kinds of solar, mainly due to the prices coming down. But um, you know what happened is essentially people started to realize, wait a minute, why are we crediting these solar generators on people's roofs for effectively the retail rate of electricity? So let's say you pay 12 and a half cents, which is roughly the average uh, in the nation for electricity per kilowatt hour. When you put solar panels on your roof, you are effectively getting paid 12 and a half cents um, to operate those solar panels because you're not having to pay the 12 and a half cents. So, um, the bottom line is that creates all kinds of issues. However, that high price, that retail price, has unequivocally caused lots and lots and lots and lots of people to install rooftop solar. Um, it is absolutely a critical incentive. If if your goal is, I want to see as much rooftop solar as possible put on around the country, then you are certainly in Carl's camp of uh, net metering is a good thing. Net metering is economically, um, you know, you are effectively creating lots of incentives for homeowners to put uh, solar on their roofs. Sliding in under the time cap, Mr. Brian Potts, appreciate that perspective. And uh, next we will go over to Carl. Has NIM been uh, a huge success? Or not? What's your perspective on the history of NIM's contribution to solar in the U.S.? Uh, yes, thank you. And I think it has um, shown the potential of being a great success, but we really haven't had it that long. Net metering was actually passed by, as a matter of federal law uh, and an amendment to federal law in only in 2005. So we have just over 15 years, actually, in a system that... Uh, was established as a monopoly electric utility system well over 100 years ago. So 15 years out of 100 is the time we've had to see whether net metering works. We have now 2.5 million customers, less than, who have uh, rooftop solar under net metering kind of provisions somewhere in the country. It is not evenly distributed. That's 2.5 million out of 150 million electric customers in the United States. Um, and just to compare it, for example, over 90 million customers are connected with uh, auto, uh, advanced metering technology, while only 2.5 million have uh, net metering installations. So it has shown the promise of success, but it hasn't had a chance to run long enough. And that's probably the most important thing going on. But we, these early indicators in these last 15 years have shown that net metering is accomplishing what Congress wanted it to accomplish when it passed the law back in 2005, the Energy Policy Act of 2005, because that provision was one of the things that the federal government one of the rare instances in which the federal government told public utilities they had to think about competition. They had to think about giving customers choice. They had to think about diversification of energy resources. And we are getting that. 
More than that, we're also getting the benefit of economies of manufacturing scale that come from many small units. The prices have fallen precipitously. We have a service option that utilities would not provide us because of net metering. We are getting something worth more than the price as value of solar is showing us. So the value is higher than the price and greater than the cost. It's a good deal so far for the few that have it, more should. Oh, fantastic. You guys have clearly, clearly uh, thought about and practiced. Uh, I I can tell you that's remarkable in this first go uh, to have both of you stop right at the two-minute mark. Uh, Thanks again to Glenda, our producer, for being so Johnny on the spot, making it look like I'm actually putting up that timer. Love that. Uh, love that. Love the contribution here. All right. Now, you'll each have one minute to rebut. Uh, I'm going to start with Brian because he led off. Brian, one minute to you. Yeah. And I think I, I don't want to talk past Carl here, but the critical um, question is really where, what are we looking at? If you're looking at, is it in residential uh, homeowners' best interest to put rooftop solar on, sure it is. They get great subsidies. If it, In a lot of places, it lowers their bill. They should absolutely do that. I'm looking at it from a policy perspective and what's good for society and what's actually good for renewable energy deployment overall. And I think when you look at that and you look at the prices of other solar, for example, I pulled up Lazard's levelized cost of energy right before this, just to check the numbers again. Uh, Utility scale solar is almost an order of magnitude cheaper than rooftop, according to Lazard. It's it's a uh, 150 to 227 dollars um, is the level of cost of energy comparison for rooftop residential. Meanwhile, it's 31 to 42 dollars for utility scale. So my question is, why are we providing all these subsidies to let people put rooftop solar on their roof when we could be providing those subsidies to utility scale solar and building a lot more solar. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah, so we will. Put... That's fine. Go for it. Uh, it's it's your right. turn. Carl. <laughs> so let me just jump in because one of the things that happens and what this is, this is um, the false confusion of issues that are very different is a great lawyering technique. And having, you know, I, I'm a lawyer too, um, so I respect it when I see a client use the technique very well. Uh, but unfortunately, it needs to be pointed out, right? So the law makes it very clear. The reason why net metering is different from wholesale generation is because generation for use is different from generation for sale. We could test this economically by asking utilities, how much would it cost? What would you charge to make and deliver a kilowatt hour of of solar or solar equivalent electricity to a customer for use at their house? I guarantee you they will not make and deliver it for less than the retail price. In fact, they will ask for a premium. And value of solar analysis shows that that is very different. Lazard tells us what the wholesale cost of electricity at a bus bar is, bus bar meaning where the power plant connects to the grid. With those utility scale resources, you got to go all the way downstream. That adds a lot of cost. So let's make sure we're keeping clear both sides of the equation. Very, very valuable contribution as well. Uh, I think that this first question encompasses the general nature of uh, where the net energy metering discord 
generally seems to arrive, which is, uh, you know, one supported on the utility side by Lon Huber and many others, including you, Brian, uh, that you, we really need to focus on where it is the cheapest to generate electricity. Carl Rebutting says, if we're honest about the economics of generating and delivering that electricity, I don't think the utilities would say that they're actually delivering it for the price of utility. We're going to move on to question number two, and this time we'll start with Carl. According to NREL, California has represented 34% of the U.S. distributed market over the past five years. The California Public Utility Commission, or CPUC, is now seeking to change the definition of NIM, which could be a model for the rest of the United States. What is, in fact, wrong then with net energy metering right now, and why should it change, or why should it stay the same? And I'll note that we do have other models from Duke Energy and uh, Tucson Electric, as far flung as Arizona to Maine, not just California, but California is is notably with NIM 2.0, the hotbed of this discussion in the United States. Carl, what's broken? Does it need to change, or why should it stay the same? Yeah, it's really important. First of all, uh, I, one comment I wanted to make at the start, and I want to put in here right now, is that um, it's not just Brian and I and Nico and Tor and, and others who can have this debate. Net metering is something that we all have access to as a subject matter, and everybody should feel free to engage in the debate. Hopefully, we're going to give you some some things to think about when you engage in it. I think you should engage in it because it's critically important. Those discussions about successor tariffs to net metering are going on actually in like at least a dozen, maybe 20 different states. So we're having a discussion everywhere about it. If there's a failure to net metering, it is that admittedly it's rough justice. It says that in the absence of utilities actually collecting the data they need to make an objective determination, the retail rate is a pretty good indicator. And that's what we should start with. We should start by being fair, and if the utility has data, and God we trust all others must bring data, the utility actually has data, they can tell us what's a fair rate. And that's really the discussion we're having in California and these other places. Ever since PG&E started doing the great work under Carl Weinberg's team back in the 90s, and at Rocky Mountain Institute, we wrote the uh, smart, uh, smallest profitable book, and we've done value of solar analysis, we know that the value exceeds the retail price. So we know that if we had done net metering right, we would have set higher compensation rates because getting a clean kilowatt hour is extremely valuable, more valuable than average. And it tends to correlate so nicely with peak demand hours that it's actually worth more than retail because that's what the utility would have to pay for it. So the biggest problem with net metering is we haven't got the compensation right and we're not building enough of it to take advantage of the system-wide benefits that new modeling techniques that a coalition of us has called the Local Solar for All Coalition has been introducing to the country using advanced modeling. So big, the big problem, we haven't run it long enough. We don't know enough about it to really get the value right. It should be much higher than retail. Fair enough. Brian, we will switch to you. What say ye from the utility perspective? Why is NIM broken? Well, much higher than retail seems like a stretch. Uh, Most of the states that have decided this have gone the other way and said NIM is just set at a random amount, which is how this was originally set. It's clearly a subsidy. If it wasn't a subsidy, people wouldn't be lining up to put rooftop solar on. Um, But Carl and I do agree about one thing, and that is 
NIM is just uh, essentially a chosen uh, number out of thin air. It's not, there was no studies done, there were no studies done to determine exactly what the pricing should be. And I do think, uh, I also agree with Carl, that these debates are going on in more than 20 states, around at least 20, uh, at the public service commissions right now where the solar advocates are bringing in studies and the utilities are bringing in studies. So this has been an issue and will continue to be an issue. And it is absolutely critically important um, to, you know, the solar proliferation around the country. Uh, so you should absolutely be looking out for it. Now, the issue is that when people, first of all, when people put rooftop solar on their roof, they are still using the grid, but they're not paying for it. There's no dispute about that. Unless they have batteries, battery backup, which is a different situation, they're using the grid. And if they're netting out all of their costs, they're not paying for it, except in the small fixed charges. And utilities historically set the fixed charges at a very small percentage of what they actually needed to recoup for their fixed charges. So the problem is when you take millions of customers out of the uh, revenue of the utility, all the other customers have to make up for that revenue. So what you see is a large chunk of uh, residential solar not having to pay what they should for, for what they're using and everyone else having to pay to make up for it. California just a few years ago released a study saying that was a billion, over a billion dollars a year. And that's Calif the California CPUC. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for uh, that position. Uh, one minute for a rebuttal, Carl. Uh, I hope that you I hope you can fit it all in one minute. <laughs> well, um, let's just start with the last thing that Brian said, right? Which is that utilities think because they're not making profits or collecting money from us, that somehow is a cost that others have borne. And that's not the case. We've been talking about doing solar for decades now, and utilities should have been building their systems and spending money with the expectation that customers would be adding this resource to the system. Of course, it's not a utility investment with shareholder profits. So they've been ignoring it, overbuilding their systems, and fighting against customers trying to serve themselves as they have a perfect right to do, and fighting against them getting fairly compensated for it. But if we stretch the horizon here and we do finally embrace the idea that customer generators are providing a resource value, and by the way, a resource value that we don't have to pay insurance on, we don't have to do maintenance on, we don't have to do the financing on because they're bringing it to the table. And we do those analyses over the long term. What we find is that Net metering customers are subsidizing a transition to a clean energy future and saving money for everyone, whether they have solar or not. But utility profits, they might go down. And if that's the only thing you care about, well, I understand Brian's being upset. Well, Brian, to respond, to, respond to that, in, uh, you know, uh, there's another saying as a lawyer, and when you don't have good arguments on the facts, you pound on the table and blame the uh, <laughs> other side. Just saying utilities are bad is not the answer. Um, utilities are not bad. And in fact, the costs I'm talking about are not utility profits. They are utility not receiving revenue. And every year in a rate case, the utility has to set its revenue forecast for the year ahead. If 2 million customers are not going to pay, put aside how much money the utility is making, put aside their rate of return, the other customers are going to have to pay more because 
essentially utilities are like a bank. They lend infrastructure, power plants, transmission lines, solar facilities to the public, and they make a rate of return on that. And But they have to recoup all of their costs from all of the ratepayers. And so when you take a whole bunch of ratepayers off the grid, but they're actually still on the grid using it, uh, it's not really fair to all the other ratepayers. And, and I do agree that there's a middle ground. There are benefits of residential solar. But to say they're more than the retail rate, uh, I'd really like to see the details of those models and numbers. And I'm pretty certain I could poke holes in them. Uh, I think that perhaps this merits another uh, 30 seconds back and forth. Um, uh, I would yield some more time to you all if there are more comments, ca- uh, Carl and Brian. To I feel like we, need, we should unpack this a little more and then we'll bring Glenda on for some audience participation. That's a, you know, the, the first thing you have to do is, uh, like I said, sort of compare apples to apples um, or recognize when you're doing apples to oranges. The, there are value of solar studies. We've done them in Texas. We've done them in Minnesota and Maine and all across the country that show that the value received when a gener- customer generator generates a kilowatt hour of electricity is greater than the retail rate for electricity in that area. It's only by ignoring significant components of that value that you can possibly get the number down below retail. If you treat a customer generator as if they were nothing but a wholesale generator trying to sell a commodity, then you will end up with a very low number, but that's not what retail customers are doing. They're generating retail electricity. It's also important to understand that that the way utilities make money, their their bone in this is that they like to build systems. They will build more expensive systems. We passed, we had to pass PURPA in this country because utilities overbuild on utility scale sources. I'm not saying this is because they're bad. It's because what we it's because of the incentive that we gave them to do. And we've been correcting on that with policies like net metering and integrated resource planning and fuel diversity and other ideas ever since. Net metering is just one more way we try to keep utilities from going overboard. All right, Carl or uh, Brian, Brian, I get my 30 seconds. So, I mean, a a great question for Carl, and I put it back on him. If if instead of rooftop solar, people were putting little natural gas CTs, combustion turbines in their house that would operate at the same times it was sunny, would you say that all those benefits are the same? Absolutely not. And so, so we have so you're to cap- picking one technology over another just because you no. like that particular technology. No, I'm saying installing and polluting technology in my neighborhood is much worse than installing a carbon free technology. Um, I don't like the fact that in Texas, the grid performs so poorly that customers are going to Home Depot to buy gas generators or stores are buying diesel generators because the utilities wouldn't pursue a distributed energy future leaving it in customers' hands to have to come up with that solution. And they don't even have net metering in many parts of Texas. Well, just quickly to respond, I mean, my, my main issue with the value of solar is, look, I absolutely agree there are climate costs, and there are, but there are ways to credit that, and there are ways to value that. And to just say any natural gas is automatically bad because or an uneconomic because it's not green is not fact-based. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that I actually agree with you that the way we account for the cost, which is different than the price, which is different than the value 
of electricity production in this country and have accounted for it for too many decades ignores the climate change impacts. Uh, my first short answer to the next question when we get to it is IPCC report six. Yeah, so thank you for the um, for what I think is a very healthy debate. And uh, clearly there are uh, valid points on both sides. Uh, by the time this discussion is over, you, dear viewer, will get a chance to help us decide uh, where should we lean in to these discussions. In fact, several of you have been contributing online in the form of questions. I'd like to bring Glenda up now. Glenda, could you feed us a few questions from the audience that contribute to this healthy discussion with Carl and Brian? Yeah, of course. So we have one from Jeff. Uh, from a tax perspective, do utilities get to write off the kilowatt credits they issue to clients? Either can take this question. Brian, you want to go first? No. <laughs> tax questions are always dangerous. So I will, yeah, I know, I will right? uh, hedge this with I'm not a tax lawyer. Um, however, my understanding is that the because of the way most of these meters work, they are running literally running backwards. So there's not always going to be a way to account for how much energy was used because it's essentially being offset. Now, obviously, there's some advanced meters that are much better at that. But um, again, for I, I don't want to be dangerous. It's always dangerous to guess as a lawyer, but I, I do not think there's any tax write-offs associated uh, with sort of what the customer would have used had they not had rooftop solar. Yeah. So, Carl, I'll, I'll chime in to while. say you were you were a commissioner, yeah. and you've spent some time thinking about this. I have, I have, and I even um, explored the tax consequences of value of solar payments to customers. Um, the, I'm not offering a tax opinion either, but here's <laughs> the thing. Um, the cost of doing business is normally a cost that you get to deduct from your profit in order to deal with your taxes. Uh, so it is a legitimate cost of business. It goes into the utilities books as a cost if they pay a credit to a customer under net metering. The thing to remember about regulated monopoly utilities, of course, uh, and I'm not talking about the uh, municipal utilities or the co-ops because they're treated differently. They're not taxed entities and all that. But for the investor-owned utilities, the, the truth is, is actually there's no tax benefit for them because they always get to collect rates from us as if they had no tax deductions at all. Um, they are the marginal tax rate we pay in our electric rates as if those utilities were 100% profitable. And then all the deductions and benefits associated with operating of the consolidated holding company actually work for the benefit of the shareholders. Um, so any reductions that come that are, that are tax deductions that are associated, for example, like when the utility gets a tax deduction for, its, for a solar power plant, that stuff shows up at the holding company level, but doesn't show up in our rates. Okay. Let's, uh, Glenn, I think we've got another uh, quick question that we can bring up here. Yeah. So we have a second um, one from Rosanna. Uh, are, are we saying all those studies are wrong? Also, utility scale is cheaper only when you don't include transmission costs. Wink, wink. I think that might be to you, Brian. Yeah, I think it was to me too. Um, I assume it, it, she likes me and that's why I'm getting the wink. Uh, so um, I will say, I mean, look, the truth of the matter is there's studies on both sides. The studies that Carl has been referring to, uh, the value of solar studies are, you know, and I don't want to say being refuted because 
without looking at the details of both studies, I can't really weigh in uh, on any particular study. And frankly, the value of solar studies have been uh, all over the place, as have utility studies. Uh, so, you know, it's going it, to, it depends specifically on the study, what's being modeled in the future. Uh, I mean, utility scale solar does have transmission costs, but those transmission costs are not 10x. Uh, I mean, they are, they should be included when you're comparing sort of what the cost is to get it to, uh, to get the utility scale solar to load. Um, but it's not a, it's, you know, it's, it's not a huge calculus that's really going to change the economics here. I mean, utility scale solar is beating most of the other generating technologies, utility scale technologies on a cost basis. Residential is not. Thanks, Glenda, for popping in. We'll have her come back in just a, a few. We're going to jump to our next question, uh, again, yeah. to remi- remind just, the rules. Yeah, Carl, did you have – Yeah, just, just real quick, I wanted to sort of respond on that question because I didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to. And I do want to say yeah, that, sure. that it is true that utility modeling today is very limited. And when you just look at bus bar costs like the Lazard study, you're not taking account of the cost to transmit and deliver. Utilities mm-hmm. are spending more money on distribution systems now than ever. And it is not necessarily reducing the cost of taking advantage of these high value resources. We need better modeling. We have it now. Look at localsolarforall.org um, and the work we're doing that actually considers transmission and delivery costs. Every one of those studies we have done with more high powered models say we should be doing more distributed solar because it does save on transmission costs. California has quantified that number in the many in the multiple billions that we have saved on transmission costs in California because of its net metering policies. And if you don't account for it all, then you're only looking at a little of it. And that's what you should look for in your value of solar studies and any other net metering analysis, whoever does it. We will certainly give Brian a chance to respond in the context of our next question. As a reminder, each of you will have two minutes to present your perspective. While net energy metering has indeed uh, seem to prove per, per, uh, successful for rooftop solar, and mostly we're referring to residential and some commercial rooftop in that sense. Utilities have installed the vast, vast majority of megawatts of solar in the United States and around the world at a much lower cost, as we've discussed here. Yet some studies suggest that rooftop solar lowers the utility infrastructure costs. Why should we have net energy metering if utilities are installing more solar at lower costs? Brian, I'd love for you to give us a, give us a start on that. We shouldn't. I mean, look, the the bottom line here is if the, I think a historical perspective is a good one. Uh, and if you go back, look, solar and renewables are relatively in the utility world, new technologies, you know, 10, 15 years in a world where utilities have been around for well over 100. Um, but if you go back those 100 years, Samuel Insull in Chicago when he took over and sort of uh, started to consolidate utilities back then, there were hundreds of competitive utilities and they were all trying to essentially provide distributed power and it wasn't working. There were duplicative transmission lines. There were, and what was really happening is a lot of people couldn't get power because only the wealthy or the people that live next to industrial facilities could get power. And Samuel Insull realized, hey, if we consolidate all this, it's going to be much more efficient for society and it's going to allow everyone, even those who can't afford it, to get power. 
I, I feel like we're sort of in the same uh, boat with uh, solar right now. It's a new technology. Everybody thought this is a great idea. Let's put it on our roofs. But then it turns out that it's much, much, much more efficient for society to have utilities build it and uh, provide it to the users rather than to have each of the users try to do it themselves. All right. Except, Sounds like uh, Carl. Yeah. Carl is going to yield the 30 seconds here. <laughs> right. Right. Except it's not. Right. So um, the most important thing in response to this is that we're not looking to just buy one kilowatt or one megawatt of solar. And like I said a few minutes ago, my first answer to this question is IPCC. Right. We now have a report that says it's irrefutable that humans are causing the climate to change in terrible ways and we need to change it fast. We can't just have the luxury of having our monopoly decide how much solar it wants to provide for us. We need all hands on deck, including the millions of customers who are willing to invest their hard-earned dollars to help change the way our electricity is made. In addition, we also now know that these are not operating in isolation. Again, I keep pointing to this modeling, but it's really amazing. We're finding out that distributed resources, especially solar coupled with storage, can actually shape the load that the overall grid sees in a way that we can actually get much more value out of our utilities scale resources. They operate complementary to each other. So having an either or attitude does not work. We need an and attitude and we need to continue net metering as well as aggressively pursue those other choices. Third thing I'll just say is um, remember your question said costs, right? And and, uh, this is not just about costs. You're talking about prices. The cost that we get from having over from from having the utility choose what it wants us to do like Samuel Insull said free of competition in his 1898 speech it's great you should read it competition is not good he said we should let the utility decide what to do subject to regulation. Well, regulation says they should look at net metering. Regulation says that we should introduce competition back into this monopoly enterprise because this is supposed to be the most successful free market democracy the world has ever known. Why don't we have competition in this essential sector? Net metering helps provide it. Well, again, you can point your fingers at the utilities all you want, but the bottom line is they are not a monopoly. They are a regulated monopoly. The people who are deciding to b- what the utilities can build are the regulators, not the utilities. And utility-scale solar is always going to be more efficient. People don't build their houses such that their roofs are most efficiently facing the sun. Small scale is always going to be more expensive. There's, I, I, you, I, you keep pointing to a study, but the bottom line is I, I, I just can't believe economics, make, it would make no sense from an economic perspective that putting solar panels on people's roofs of houses that were not built for specifically for solar panels is ever going to be more cost effective than building thousands of megawatts of solar uh, at a utility scale. It's just not going to be, no matter how many studies you you point to. Carl, I, uh, yeah, welcome oh, you, you to... Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, yeah, it, so if it comes down to the fact that we're going to argue over the existence of facts and the existence of studies, which 
going back to the Kerman substation project in California in 1990, early 90s, to the publication of Small is Profitable, The Economist Magazine's Book of the Year, to the dozens of value of solar studies that have been collected by Environment America, uh, and and I, in ICF, hardly a left-wing consulting organization that did a that did a meta-analysis of value of solar studies to show where the value comes up. If we're going to ignore that and we're going to argue against facts, then you're right. It's an open question, but it's not an open question anymore. Um, and look, regulators are supposed to act as a substitute for competition. And an important measure of competition that the utilities did not face for a long time was renewable energy. So we put in effect FERPA. And then what we did is we said net metering could provide competition as well. Regulators are doing their job when they create an opportunity for these markets to emerge at options that the utility would not provide and they needed to be urged into by regulation. Gentlemen, we have a couple more questions and there's a lively discussion in the comments. So I'd like to uh, evolve the discussion towards the, the potential possibility uh, for solutions. Uh, if, if net energy metering is in some way broken or as many, many states, policy makers have suggested needs some sort of update, then what are in fact the solutions to fix or address the concerns that have been brought up here in this discussion? Can net energy metering be realigned to be fair to solar owners, ratepayers, and utilities? Carl, we'll start with you. Two minutes. Yep, real quick. So first, do the modeling. Um, I've mentioned this, this, this modeling that the Local Solar for All Coalition has been doing. Do the modeling. We did it on 48 states. We found that if we optimize and coordinate distributed energy resources and build a lot of utility-scale resources, we could save half a trillion dollars in system costs by, the, by 2050. There are, uh, and there's another trillion dollars worth of savings if we electrify the economy and take advantage of distributed resources. You'll know the big picture if you do the modeling. So that's the first thing we should do. Second, we should set our compensation rate based on resource value and fair benefit cost analysis. Go look at the National Standard Practice Manual for doing benefit cost analysis for distributed energy resources. I got to help contributing to that. It tells you how to do a fair analysis of these options at the utility program level. The most important thing is treat rooftop solar and distributed solar and community solar as a resource. Figure out objectively how it can help meet all our need for energy services at the lowest cost, both for the short and the long term. Pay more for locational and temporal benefits. Recognize that in an air-conditioned dominated economy, solar makes most of its most valuable electricity just at the time when you need it most. And if customers make more, that means the utility gets the benefit from it. That's why I did value of solar rate at Austin Energy. I wanted to encourage my customers to contribute to the solution by providing high value electricity at those times. Ask our utilities to document and understand their costs. One of the biggest problems we have with value of solar analysis is the utilities don't really understand their systems as well as they should. They should take advantage of this advanced metering infrastructure and really start laying open the costs of what it takes to run a utility system, because then people will build a path to their door with resources that are high value, like net metered customer generation. So uh, I'll get back to your question. And I, I think the important point is that Carl 
and I aren't the ones who get to decide. Um, and, and regulators, they have the challenging job. They're the ones that have to look at these studies and they're the ones that have to dig in. They're being presented these value of solar studies by the sol rooftop solar industry and they're being presented utility studies by the utility industry. Um, usually, there, there's going to be lots of disagreements and experts talking about their study is better. Um, and so, you know, the regulator needs to think about what, what do they want? What do they want for their society if they want or their state? If they want more rooftop solar because they think, uh, you know, all solar is better than um, anything else, then, th then that's fine. That's their decision there appointed or elected officials, and they get to make those decisions. Now, if we're talking about what the fair rate is for rooftop solar, that's a different question. And I think no one has quite answered it perfectly yet that I've seen. Um, there's an economist out of UC Berkeley who I've read, and, and I agree with him the most, which is basically the rooftop solar folks should have to pay for the part of the system that hooks up to the distribution system back to their house, the meter, and all of the sort of office stuff that goes along with it. That would be the bare minimum because obviously if their house wasn't there, you wouldn't have that infrastructure to hook them up to the grid and that's what they're causing. Um, but it's there's no perfect answer here and it's a challenging question. Basically, 100 years ago, we decided as a society, we were going to centralize all of our power. That worked really well putting aside climate change concerns and it, you know, everybody got electricity, everybody got electricity so cheaply that most people don't even pay attention to how much their electricity costs. And now the solar, you know, we have new technologies that are coming on, makes it really difficult. And so I think we're facing challenging questions, but to just say one side is right and one side is wrong, isn't really, I think a fair uh, answer. Well, therein lies the crux of <clears throat> a debate is uh, do we have more evidence on one side or the other to sway? Because at the end of the day, policy uh, is made based on the argument that is most cogent or the interests that can, uh, that can lend toward decisions being made. Uh, I'd love to uh, come back over to you, Carl, see if you have uh, rebuttal and we definitely have uh, there's a flurry you guys are there's a flurry of comments coming in online uh, I think one that's a fair one to to bring up just as a uh, reminder that we have an audience here watching facility the endpoint user what's the average line loss versus distributed generation so keeping things like these in context uh, maybe maybe uh, we can bring it back to some of the things that we aren't familiar with in terms of the underlying assumptions being made around fair or not fair costs. Carl, back to you. Yep, so um, in response to what Brian said, uh, the first thing he said is that we don't get to decide, but yes, we do. This is, um, we either elect our commissioners in some states or we elect the people that appoint or confer and confirm our commissioners, right? So Ann Richards appointed me when I was in Texas and the Senate confirmed me when I was in Texas. If we don't like what we're doing, if the state is not being supportive of distributed energy markets and opportunities and businesses, then it should change. And there's been a great record of people getting involved and making that change happen. So um, I think we do get to decide. We get to decide what kind of future we want and how fast we get there. Second of all, I want to really, uh, this, Brian has said a couple of times that net metering customers don't pay. Um, 
that's not true. It's simply not true. So we can we can set that one straight out, right? Net metering customers are being fully charged for their customer charges or minimum bills. They're being fully charged for every unit of electricity they consume under net metering. But they're producing something that's so valuable, it offsets a lot of those charges. When the accounting is done, they're paying. They're paying with resource that they brought to the system. Brian, back to you for another minute. I mean, again, we're back to the value, but I will say uh, the only value that uh, is, I mean, the sun is the same. The solar panels are the same. The location is what's different and the cost of uh, is what's different. The, the thing that I think and I'm, I, that our listeners should really understand is electricity is not like water in a hose. The whole mm-hmm. grid is on or off and has to be have enough energy on it. So when you put energy on above your house, that's no different than putting energy on, you know, two miles over in a field. It's the same energy. It's the same grid. It's all interconnected. And so when Carl talks about the value of solar, there's a value of solar to the owner, the rooftop owner, because they get all the subsidies. They usually get to lower their electric rate through the lease payments, and they get to feel better about themselves for having solar on the roof. I'm a big proponent of community solar, which is sort of the hybrid of between utility and uh, rooftop, and that it's not as efficient, but at least I can go out and look at you know, uh, a solar array on a, a large commercial building that I threw in on with a bunch of other customers. That I think is getting closer to making some sense. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, the truth of the matter is if we took the federal subsidies and we doubled them for utility scale solar and we got rid of the ones for rooftop, we would have a lot more solar. I, I got to excuse you just for a minute. I got to go tear out my homegrown tomatoes uh, because the grocery store doesn't want me making any of my own. Well, that's good. That's good. Fair, fair point. Um, you know, there are a couple of questions around uh, around climate concerns and the externalities and carbon tax. Uh, there are a couple of others. We do have one question, and we're coming up on the top of the hour here. We have one more question that I think is really pertinent. But um, that said, is there a quick answer uh, that either of you might have around transmission losses on utility scale solar? Uh, yeah, that, that it's, it's I mean, I actually do a lot of transmission line work. Ten percent or less is usually a rough rule of thumb is to get to get to load. It just obviously depends on where you are and how congested the mm-hmm. system is. So, yeah. And what, what would you say to the externalities of, you know, um, the, the notion of putting aside uh, climate as an externality, California clearly is facing this with Pacific Gas and Electric right now uh, in effectively bankruptcy, uh, trying to address climate change. Um, what about uh, this question was specifically around solutions. Uh, are solutions like a carbon tax uh, relevant way to address this? And, and carbon tax pricing is all over the board as well. Sure. I mean, that first thing is, don't forget that line losses also increase with system load. So when the system is peaking, line losses get even greater. That's one of those added values of the coincidence of solar production and system demand. So the, the actual avoided line loss can be much higher than the average line loss. But when it comes to uh, carbon, yes, it is a bit of a rope-a-dope game that people talk about, gee, the the, the most perfect economic solution would be taxing carbon as if Congress or anybody would ever pass 
that, you know, an explicit carbon tax. I don't want to get sucked into that. I do know, I do know that all economists agree that when a real cost is kept out of the price of a good, then we will not result, we will not get an economically efficient level of production or consumption. So good value of solar analysis tries to internalize that cost using values like the social cost of carbon so that we can truly and fairly compare what happens when a customer puts solar on their roof versus me having to rely on a system that might have a lot of coal or natural gas in it at the same time. Yeah, Brian, 30 on, seconds. I have one more question. Yeah, on this point, I mean, I think Carl and I agree. Uh, I, when I said putting aside climate, I meant, you know, 100 years ago when they were doing this, they weren't thinking about that or or weighing that factor when they centralized the whole system. Um, look, carbon taxes are economically the best. I think economists agree with that, but I agree with Carl. Uh, Congress can't seem to pass much. And when they do, it's in the much easier for them to pass subsidies uh, than taxes just because people don't like that word. So uh, I think uh, it's a great question, but not one that's going to uh, happen anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Well, let us move to our final question. Thanks for everyone who has joined us online. Thanks as well to you two for the endurance and the energy and passion that's clear. And you guys have such a foundational understanding of the core arguments here. Uh, Our final question is simply, there's a concern that if, Net energy metering is set to a low value and the payback extends to you know, something over 10 years, then it may devastate what we know is a booming in many states, uh, rooftop solar jobs and business market. Nevada, as an example, uh, the boom and bust cycle uh, when net energy metering was eliminated and then added back again, it brings those installations of rooftop solar back naturally. Is there a way to maintain the jobs and businesses with a lo- within a low NIM environment, and will low NIM mean that resi solar is really only viable for the wealthy, as many have uh, explained that? Brian, we'll start with you. Two minutes on the clock. Yeah, I mean, look, if you change the net metering policy such that it's not economic anymore for rooftop solar, there are going to be job losses. I mean, I can't deny that, but that's any policy change is going to lead to uh, job impacts. So, uh, it's a question, again, a, a hard question for regulators. It's a question of timing. It's a question, you know, I, I don't think anybody wants to rip the rug out immediately. Most of what the utilities have proposed is actually not assessing the full fixed costs, but assessing sort of a, an increase um, to the fixed costs. So, you know, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of the solar advocates were too worried about the coal miners' jobs. Um, so... Uh, I think, you know, it, 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 the policies are going to change and jobs are going to change and it, it it sort of is what it is, unfortunately. Can't keep everybody employed doing what they want all the time. All right. Uh, we'll bring it to you, Carl, for uh, two minutes on the subject of what about the jobs? So um, the jobs are a big talking point of people who advocate for distributed generation of all kinds because you get more jobs with distributed generation. And that's a value that taking this approach contributes. It's a value that nature respects. Um, you know, diversity in ecosystems produces welfare for all in all the inhabitants and participants in the ecosystem. That kind of diversity and that kind of local job growth also can help us adjust the vital issues of justice. 
of ensuring and enabling access to sustainable energy for all citizens. Because what we can do is we can put jobs in communities, we can exploit those economies of scale that come from making more and more solar and, and at, the, at the small scale and reaping those benefits and making the system work better. We know from our analysis, we know that low values for distributed generation are not justified. So we could bring value to all communities by increasing distributed generation. And we know that a long run view of the system and a comprehensive view of system costs is necessary. So we know that we can get those distributed generation jobs and the added value that comes from pursuing a distributed agenda. We know, as Brian said, we can also create greater opportunities for participation in a clean distributed energy future that complements a clean utility future by exploiting the power of community solar type projects. So there's a lot of opportunity here. We have not been at this for more than 15 real years in net metering since that federal policy was was a, a passed. It is too early to decide. Now, uh, it is, however, probably time to recognize that Insel's 100-year-old model of profit only for capital investments by utilities and the squashing of competition in order to build the grid, that we're done with. We need a new model. We need clean performance. We need distributed resources. We need real savings and access to clean energy for everyone. Thank you, Carl. Brian, one minute for rebuttal or remarks. I mean, if utilities went away, no one would have electricity for at least a decade. So, uh, I mean, you can knock the centralized power system, but by just saying there's no competition, that was intentional and that worked really well. And that's why everyone has power. And that's also why a lot of lower income uh, uh, folks can actually afford power. And so, I, you know, you're not seeing a lot of low income uh, people put rooftop solar on their roofs. And so, I, you know, it, it, these things are difficult. And I'm Carl is a great advocate for the solar rooftop solar. Um, you know, I, I have done mostly utility work, so that's where I come from. But the bottom line is. In my view, the the no one is right, and and these things are so complicated. There isn't usually a right answer. There's a try to weigh everything and do the best you can for society answer. And I don't think Carl would would want uh you know electric prices to go up for everyone either. Um, so you know it's a difficult challenge we face. Thank you both for what has up to now been a very informative and also riveting and and an interesting and. Um, and multivariate conversation. Carl, just that last little 30 second response yeah. is because Carl, I, I was going to say, I want to give you one more opportunity. Oh, good. Okay. So, so I, you know, I, look, I've been a utility executive. I know exactly how wonderful um, life is in America today because we have electrified comprehensively. And I am the first to admit. To, to extol the benefits that the utility system has provided to us. The, what we're calling for now is a change. What we're calling for is a bit of transformation. What we're calling is an end to the resistance that is coming from the monopolists or from the dominant market power exercisers to customers in obtaining distributed service themselves. Net metering says, if you make a kilowatt hour at retail, it's worth the retail price. And that's the that's a pretty 
fair place to start. And until something somebody comes up with something better that brings us more competitive options, that brings us more local jobs, that brings us more system-wide savings, then that's where we ought to focus our attention on the utilities learning to take advantage of more distributed energy resources, not bottling them up so they can maintain their monopolistic hegemony over the system they control. I got to use hegemony. Yeah, you did. That was awesome. I'm so glad that you slid that one in there. Carl Robigo, (laughs) thanks for your final uh, parting remarks. Uh, I want to yield the remainder of the time to Brian Potts for final remarks. Yeah, thanks. I mean, look, my view is I'm not against solar. Um, I just fundamentally believe that if we took the federal money that's going in tax incentives for uh, rooftop solar and we instead allocated more to utility scale solar, our country would have significantly, and an estimate I I, uh, put together for the Wall Street Journal was 65% more solar on the grid than we would with rooftop. Um, The system is what it is today. Uh, Utilities do want to build things, but now they want to build solar. So we should encourage that. Well, well said. And there are I don't, uh, I don't know that we have uh, all of the answers and all of the arguments here on the stage in our uh, debaters ring today, but I certainly feel that my capacity to understand has deepened uh, from the flurry of commentary on YouTube and Facebook. I can tell that others agree as well. Uh, many, many uh, very cogent points have made. That, that's all the questions that we have prepared for the debate. Uh, I want to first take a a chance to thank everyone who came and viewed. Thank you, our debaters, for this truly great solar debate and terrific information. Uh, Thanks, Brian Potts of Perkins Coie and Carl Robigo of Robigo Energy, Glenda Johnson and Solar Power Events for helping make it happen. Tor, let's bring Tor back up on the stage as we round this out. Guys, I, I, I have to say, and Glenda as well, I mean, this was such a dynamic debate with so much great information and back and forth. I think if anybody wants to know the issues that we're facing with net metering today in, a, in an hour's amount of time, a little bit of an hour, over an hour, um, this is what they should watch. I think all CPUC, I mean, whatever, uh, public utility commissions and the California Public Utility Commission should be watching this. So really, thank you all for, for participating. Um, and thank you to Solar Power Events for making helping to make this happen. And Nico and his team, it, it, you know, again, as an audience member here um, and, and as, as someone who has been in the industry for a long time, this was such a compact, useful bit of information. So uh, really, thanks. Um, so uh, now it's your time to uh, vote about who won the great solar debate about net metering. You can go to my Twitter handle, at SolarFred, and vote uh, for the next seven days. You can also see the live stream back, uh, the recorded live stream, I should say, on Nico's um, uh, website, mysuncast.com forward slash debate. And um, it'll be up there, I think, in just a matter of a few seconds. So if you did miss any of this, rewatch it um, anytime up there and vote in the next seven days about who won the debate at SolarFred, 
at the top of my profile. Vote um, and share it around to your network. Absolutely. So um, the other thing that is happening is that this is not the last debate. We're continuing this series. It's been so, so great. And the final one for this season is going to happen live at SPI, Solar Power International, North American um, Smart Energy Week in New Orleans. And the topic for the last debate is going to be on the stage. Um, it's it's going to be distributed solar versus utility solar. What's the best way to get the U.S. 100% clean energy? And we've got, again, some dynamic debaters. Um, we've already got set up Barry Cinnamon from Cinnamon Energy Systems, Meredith McClintock from Aurora Solar, who's going to be advocating for distributed solar and advocating for large-scale utility solar is going to be uh, Emily Wangerman of LightSource BP and someone else to be confirmed. We can't announce that person yet, but uh, once we get final confirmation, you can watch me or Nico's uh, Twitter cha channels and all our other social networks, and I'm sure you'll find out who that last person is. So uh, once again, thank you again to everyone uh, for watching. And um, if you'd like to reach out to Carl O'Brien, I'll let uh, Nico uh, take it home. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, thank you, Tor, as well. Uh, Tor is instrumental in helping guide this discussion. Such a great writer and thinker who helps us craft the direction and narrative and, of course, has a huge following as well. So we're grateful for Tor and the Solar Power Events team for helping us bring this to the world. Many may know, uh, if they're close to Tor, that uh, this idea germinated from the many uh, inklings that Tor has about how can we improve the debate, how can we improve the conversation and just help folks better understand the core fundamentals. So I'm grateful to Tor and the contribution he's made. I'm grateful to you, Brian Potts, and you, Carl Robigo, for the contributions you've made today. Uh, if you would go to mysuncast.com forward slash debate, you can find their social handles on LinkedIn uh, and Twitter. And they and the, and the plethora of articles you'll no doubt find if you search their names and the topic of net energy metering uh, are readily available. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Carl, for joining us. Yeah. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Great, yes, this was debate. really, really fun. And I got made smarter by Brian. And I really appreciate the opportunity, Nico and Tor and Glenda, for giving me a chance to grow my brain. <laughs> well, it, thank you all for tuning in. And of course, if you're watching this recorded post-debate, then please share this great information with your solar and broader colleagues and consumers. From all of us here at Suncast, Solar Power Events, Unthink Solar, and the constituents who have watched online and helped contribute to this debate, thank you. We'll see you all in the Big Easy New Orleans for the next installment of the great debate. All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, but I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. 
A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.